0: Chapter 9. Vietnam, the Advisory Years to 1965, by Robert Futrell and Martin Blumenson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham McMillan, San Diego, California. Chapter 9. U.S. Command Arrangements, 2D ADVON and MACV. Acceptance of the Taylor-Rostow recommendations of November 3, 1961, marked a shift in American policy from... Advice to limited partnership and working collaboration with the Vietnamese. More material assistance would accompany increased participation in the war. American advisors, as friends and partners, were to show the Vietnamese how the job might be done, not tell them or do it for them. By November 13th, using such expressions as proceed urgently and with all possible speed, Defense Secretary McNamara had issued a host of measures. Among them were increased airlift including 16 C-123s for the Vietnamese armed forces, help with aerial reconnaissance, photography, air ground support, and installing a tactical air control system, small naval craft with advisors and crews to cut enemy waterborne infiltration and resupply, training and equipment for the Civil Guard and Self-Defense Corps to free Vietnamese Army units for offensive operations, personnel and equipment to enhance military political intelligence at all levels, more economic support to afford better military, pay, food, and medicine. Relief and rehabilitation in the flooded areas. Individual administers and advisors for insertion into the governmental machinery of South Vietnam in types and numbers to be agreed upon by the two governments. And surveys in all provinces to discover how best to deal with the insurgency. Assuming that Diem would formally agree later, the defense secretary instructed the Joint Chiefs of Staff to proceed. McNamara personally monitored the aid program, requiring a progress report every Monday. He wanted men and material for a tactical air control system to go to Vietnam as soon as possible. He wanted 30 T-28s rushed out to give the Vietnamese a second fighter squadron. And he wanted more US advisors in place. By June 30th, 1962, there would be 6,419 Americans in South Vietnam. As McNamara informed Admiral Felt and General Magar, political uncertainty of Diem's position and doubt as to his willingness to take steps to make his government more effective must not prevent us from going ahead full blast without publicity until political discussions are completed on all possible actions short of large-scale introduction of U.S. combat forces. Fundamentally, we must adjust ourselves to a perennially unclear political framework, and to a policy that for overall national reasons sets limits on military actions. Early in December, President Diem made an affirmative but hedged response to the Kennedy program. His memorandum distinguished between domestic and military matters and clearly defined the latter. For example, American helicopters and naval units were to be under exclusive U.S. command. Diem's government would take no decisions or actions entailing combined operations, quote, without full prior consultation with the qualified U.S. agencies, unquote. Although doubting the DM's reply would be fully acceptable, Ambassador Nolting radioed the State Department. I nevertheless think memorandum represents U.S. moving confidently ahead. The new Kennedy program dictated that the MAAG in Saigon be reorganized and augmented. Then it could better help subdue the subversion and insurgency, and as an, quote, an advanced party, Unquote. Command forces sent to Vietnam to oppose aggression in CEDO terms. In the latter case, Task Force 116 was the ready force. Admiral Felt had said in May 1961 that if large-scale U.S. combat forces entered Vietnam, he would name the MAA chief as the commander, United States Forces, Vietnam. This commander would function under sync control. Now there was talk of appointing a four-star general to command U.S. forces in Vietnam. As early as November 1st, the State Department was skeptical about the necessity. Secretary Rusk said, quote, While attaching greatest possible importance to security in Southeast Asia, I would be reluctant to see the United States to further commit American prestige to a losing horse, unquote. Ambassador John K. Galbraith in India pointed to Diem as, quote, a wasting asset, unquote, who is losing, not gaining popularity. The United States, he thought, should refrain from putting American ground troops into Vietnam and from overcommitting. On November 22, the Joint Chiefs recommended to the Secretary of Defense a new subordinate, unified command under SincPac. It would be designated as United States Forces Vietnam and organized in Saigon with Army, Navy, and Air Force component commands. The commander in Vietnam was to have four stars and be co equal with the Ambassador. He would draw together all American military activities in the country related to counterinsurgency, including intelligence, MAAG, and whatever economic assistance had military implications. A four-star commander would signal a considerable commitment of American prestige and a major endorsement of DM's government. Consequently, the Joint Chiefs wished, before altering the command structure, to have the United States clearly spell out its objectives in Vietnam and to extract a pledge for a suitable military program from Diem. McNamara approved on November 27th. The proposed command ran counter to SYNCPAC Pack contingency planning for a possible deployment of JTF-116. Admiral Felt, nonetheless, admitted that it was justified in light of an enlarged MAAG. PACAF units deployed into Vietnam and the arrival of Army helicopter companies drawing up a detailed table of distribution, Felt suggested an army general as the commander and a small joint staff with USAF officers as chief of staff, J-2 intelligence, and J-5 plans. The new command, the sink pack thought, might well give Diem the assurance of American support that he appeared to need before carrying out his own program. United States Army Pacific in Hawaii favored a separate theater of operations for Vietnam removed from SYNCPAC control but acquiesced in, quote, double-hatting, unquote, the MAG chief as commander of U.S. forces. On that basis, General Magar took operational control of Farmgate. Admiral Felt accepted this for Farmgate's training mission, but PACAF pointed out that the detachment had a second mission of combat operations. By law, MAAGs could not command operational forces. Foreseeing widespread air activities in Vietnam and other parts of Southeast Asia, P.A.C.A.F. wanted to establish an advanced echelon of 13th Air Force in Saigon to command USAF units in SEA. Admiral Felt agreed. The MAG chief, working with his Air Force section chief, would handle Farmgate's training missions, while SYNCPAC, through P.A.C.A.F. and an advanced echelon of 13th Air Force, would take care of any combat operations. The MAG Air Force section chief commander and the commander of the advanced echelon could be the same officer, Assigned to MAG, he would have dual responsibilities to MAG and to PACAF. Above all, there was to be no appearance of a new American command moving into Vietnam. To fill the two hats, General O'Donnell of PACAF nominated Brigadier General Rollin H. Anthus, an outstanding officer serving as 13th Air Force Vice Commander. Admiral Felt, Singpak, approved the choice. General Anthus, assumed command of 2nd Advanced Echelon, ADVON, and needing personnel for the organization, took control of the four small contemporary duty detachments, 7th, 8th, Ninth, and 10th. Detachment 7 at Saigon became, in effect, 2nd ADVON staff. On November 20th, ANTHUS settled 2nd ADVON at the Brink Hotel in downtown Saigon, sharing space with the MAG Air Force section. The new commander realized after a few days that he was too far from his operating units, whereupon he moved 2nd Advon to Tan Son Nut and into a building near Vietnamese Air Force headquarters. His Vietnamese neighbors were puzzled by Anthus' presence. When Ambassador Nolting first found out about 2nd Advon on the 24th, he was not only puzzled but surprised. General Anthas told him that 2nd Advon controlled USAF operating units in Vietnam, but not the training units. Nolting found it incomprehensible for American authorities to form a new U.S. military headquarters without consulting him and the Vietnamese government. The ambassador instructed the second Advan commander to delay further organizational activities until Nolting received clarification of the relationship of the headquarters to the embassy. He solicited from Anthus a precise understanding that any combat operation in Vietnam carried out by elements of this command will be cleared in advance with me, Nolting. Apprised of the Ambassador's reaction, Admiral Felt advised Anthos to avoid creating a new headquarters. He was to locate in General Magar's MAG headquarters and to conduct his advance echelon business through Detachment 7 in Saigon. After fresh study, Felt termed 2nd ADVON neither a command nor a headquarters. Since its purpose was to administer, control, and support units, it was simply a facility for coordination. Nolting might have thought this a distinction without a difference but he learned that the DM government had no objection. He accepted 2nd ADVON as needed to administer and control PACAF elements that might be deployed to Southeast Asia, in coordination with MAG. 13th Air Force specified that 2nd ADVON execute with the Vietnamese Air Force sustained offensive, defense, and reconnaissance air operations aimed at the destruction or neutralization of Viet Cong forces, resources, and communications within the borders of South Vietnam. General Anthes was to, quote, set the pattern for Vietnamese Air Force operations. In short, he was to act as the commander of a tactical air force. But the peculiarly ad hoc nature of the organization led to problems. For example, what control did unit commanders have over their logistic support? In the standard USAF command, such questions had been carefully worked out through the years. But for second ADVON, they needed to be rethought. Furthermore, General Anthus faced a somewhat more complex chain of command. He reported to sinc pack through PACAF on operational matters, but he went direct to 13th Air Force on strictly USAF operational, logistic, and administrative issues. Colonel King, the Farmgate commander, was also confused. When 2nd Advance Detachment 9 at Bien Hoa tried to make operational controls of his unit, King protested this as inconsistent with General Lee May's instructions. He understood that Detachment 9 was limited to furnishing base logistic support, King prevailed in this matter, but proved less successful in clarifying his own operational mission. He visited Saigon and was unable to see General Anthus, but the second ADVON operations officer speculated that it was highly unlikely for Farmgate even to be cleared for daylight combat. King's officers then borrowed several aerial flares from the Vietnamese, pressed an SC-47 into service for unimprovised flare drops, and under the illumination made strike passes with their T-28s. Colonel King went back to Saigon and reported that his unit could make night attacks. As King later recalled, 2nd Advon dispatched a C-47 and some T-28s on at least two night attacks later in November. Against an enemy position in the jungle south of De Lott, the T-28 pilots never saw an exact target under the flare light and merely placed their ordnance into the trees. Flying to the aid of a fort in the Delta under attack, the T-28 crews found the airstrike request to be several days old. When they arrived on the scene, there were no targets. Another mission in late November responded to a report of Viet Cong intention to cut the railroad between Bien Hoa and Nha Trang. Bearing flares in addition to their guns, four T-28s reconnoitered the rail line. They illuminated and inspected possible ambush sites, but saw no sign of the enemy. While the Departments of State and Defense discussed organizing the American command in Vietnam. MAG was, quote, over its head in operations and intelligence planning to the neglect of its primary duty, the training and advisory effort, unquote. Authorized a strength of 685 persons in May 1961, MAG, at the end of the year, had 2,394 military assistance program spaces and 5,435 others. A compromise worked out by Secretaries McNamara and Rusk in December envisioned a military assistance command vietnam macv under sync roughly modeled on the united states taiwan defense command to highlight the positive impact of change in american policy mcnamara desired the macv commander to be a four-star army general he suggested general paul d harkins to the president as quote, an imaginative officer fully qualified to fill what i consider to be the most difficult job in the u.s army unquote Commander of United States Army, Pacific, and a protégé of Generals George S. Patton, Jr. and Maxwell D. Taylor, Harkins was summoned to Florida in 1962. There, in a brief interview, President Kennedy said he was pleased that the General spoke French, told him to assist Diem and the South Vietnamese people, and wished him well. With Diem's blessing, Sink created the new command in Saigon on February 8, 1962. Harkins became commander with a promotion to full general. On the 10th, PACAF designated General Anthus, 2nd ADVON Commander, to be the Air Component Commander and to further serve as 13th Air Force and PACAF Air Commander for all USAF matters in Southeast Asia. The Joint Chiefs of Staff had recommended status for General Harkins, co-equal with Ambassador Nolting, but the term was absent from the MACV mission statement. Harkins nonetheless owned broader-than-normal authority, he was to assist and support the government of Vietnam in its quest for security through defeating communist insurgency and resisting overt aggression. He was charged with all American military policy, operations, and aid in South Vietnam. On U.S. and Vietnamese military operations, he could go straight to President Diem and other governmental leaders. He had direct access to sinc PAC and through him to the JCS and the Secretary of Defense. He was to consult with the ambassador on political affairs and to keep him abreast of military matters. As Sinh single spokesman in South Vietnam, Harkins exercised operational command of all U.S. forces and military agencies assigned or attached to MACV, including the Military Assistance Advisory Group. For MACV's Joint Staff, Admiral Felt had recommended USAF officers as Chief of Staff, J-2 Intelligence, and J-5 Plans. Even so, General Harkins picked a Marine officer, Major General Richard G. Weed, to be his chief of staff and advocated Air Force officers for J-3 operations, J-2, and J-5. Secretary McNamara wanted the Army to have the J-3 billet, but Felt believed this would unbalance the staff. He proposed upgrading J-5 to a Brigadier General slot and allocating it to the Air Force, while the Deputy J-3 would be a USAF colonel. General LeMay tried in vain to persuade McNamara to change his mind on the Chief of Staff and J-3 positions. The MACV Manning Authority was approved by the Defense Secretary on March 2nd. It gave the Air Force none of the key operational spots and only one of the five general officer billets, J-5, filled by Brigadier General John A. Dunning. Of the 105 officer spaces, the Army got 54 compared to 29 for the Navy and Marines and 22 for the Air Force. General Harkins shifted MAG's operations and intelligence functions to MACV. He appointed Major General Charles J. Timms, USA, to be MAG chief. Timms had been MAGAR's deputy. The MAG was split into Army, Navy, and Air Force sections. Each handled military assistance, plans, and programs, training and logistic advice to the Vietnamese, and administration of American field advisory detachments. Yet, the separation of functions between MACV and MAG remained fuzzy. General Harkins opposed Anthas' serving as both the MACV Air Component Commander and Chief of the MAG Air Force Section. He suggested, and Admiral Felt directed on May 12, 1962, that General Anthas be relieved as MAG Chief of Air Force Section and replaced by the USAF Colonel, who was the deputy. General LeMay saw the change as a complication for the USAF liaison officers with Vietnamese Army Divisions, who should have been under Anthesis command, were instead assigned to the mag. LeMay also protested the proposed reduction in rank of the mag chief of Air Force section. General Anthus held his two jobs for a while longer. Felton Harkins agreed in October to accept Brigadier General Robert R. Rowland as mag chief of Air Force section. On December 1, 1962, Rowland relieved Anthus of his mag duty. Although Anthus and Roland worked well together, some MAG air officers wondered how far they might go in advising and training before entering into operational activities. Believing that he was, quote, responsible for all that U.S. military do or fail to do in South Vietnam, unquote, General Harkins argued for full operational command over all American military resources in the country to include projected covert operations. Admiral Felt thought otherwise. On April 20th, 1962, he placed under MACV Operational Command those units having the primary mission of advising and assisting the training of Vietnamese military and paramilitary forces. Other units were to remain under sink pack component commanders. General Anthus deemed this interpretation important because the Air Force was meagerly represented on the MACV staff. The United States Army Pacific, unlike the Air Force, elected to give MACV operational command over the Army helicopter companies in Vietnam. Created as the MACV component Army Command, the United States Army Support Group, Vietnam, furnished administrative and logistic support to Army units in the country. General Harkins exercised direct operational command over U.S. Army helicopter companies through the MAG Senior Army Advisor at each Vietnamese corps headquarters. This arrangement appeared contrary to the principle restraining a unified commander from personally commanding a component force. Moreover, the MACV Joint Staff had to handle peculiarly Army matters that might have been more properly the work of an Army Component Command Staff. The extra workload was often cited as a compelling reason for so many Army personnel on the MACV staff. Since MACV's birth on February 8, 1962 had been publicized, Lieutenant General Thomas S. Moorman, Vice Commander-in-Chief of PACAF, saw no reason why the 2nd ADVON should stay a paper organization. On February 20th, General Moorman asked Federal Felt to accept a reorganization of 2nd ADVON to make it a standard USAF Air Division. This meaningful designation would clear up the Air Force Organization in Southeast Asia. Timing of the proposal was inopportune the International Control Commission was examining MACV to see if its presence in the country violated the Geneva Agreements. Undersecretary of State George W. Ball urged the United States to go along with the commission and, quote, play the game partly their way, unquote. In response to questions from the press, President Kennedy insisted that no U.S. combat forces were in Vietnam. He did admit that training units were authorized to fire in self-protection if fired upon. Consequently, Felton Harkins considered it impolitic to reorganize 2nd Advan into an air division at this time. Doing so could be misconstrued as the introduction of a large operational command. Visiting Vietnam in April 1962, General LeMay decided that something had to be done about 2nd Advan and its nondescript detachments. On some basis, there were as many as nine separate air detachments, and no one person or organization was in charge. The chief of staff called for an air division to replace 2nd ADVON and for an air base structure at each major operating location. Air Force headquarters prepared to replace 2nd ADVON with a regularly constituted unit to which other units and personnel could be legitimately assigned. Two events hastened acceptance of this action. When American forces were deployed to Thailand on May 15th, General Harkins was additionally designated commander of United States Military Assistance Command, Thailand and on June 2nd, the International Control Commission labeled North Vietnamese activities as aggression and the establishment of MACV as a violation. Meanwhile, the decision had been made to reveal the USAF role in Vietnam. Speaking in Los Angeles on April 27th, General LeMay announced that the Farmgate Air Commandos had the codename of Jungle Jim and were instructing Allied crews in all phases of air operations. This is a realistic training program, the Chief of Staff concluded. These people, the Vietnamese, are at war. Our instructors occasionally accompany them on combat missions. Our pilots are armed. They will protect themselves if fired upon. The New York Times remarked that the Air Force, besides stressing massive retaliation with nuclear weapons, was as much involved in the guerrilla warfare training and in counterinsurgency as the other armed services. Radio Hanoi broadcast that U.S. officers served in combat while instructing Vietnamese, adding, American pilots are often at the controls in airstrikes. Radio Peking depicted Farmgate doings with considerable precision. The reaction of the Farmgate personnel, on air commandos as they might now be styled, was that LeMay's speech legitimized their existence. Undersecretary of State George W. Ball spoke in Detroit on May 1st. Stressing that no American combat forces were in Vietnam and that the United States was neither fighting nor running the war. The press reported Farmgate's activities as follows quote, None of these men are designated combat troops per se, but some will be fighting, just as their counterparts are today. Sometimes an American instructor pilot has been at the controls in a strafing pass, at jungle targets, or on a bomb run. Unquote. Again, Americans are also flying on bombing and strafing missions. U.S. Air Force pilots flied B-26 bombers and T-28 fighter bombers in airstrikes against the Viet Cong and in support of ground troops. Still, the Air Force was generally hidden behind the name Farmgate, even though newspapers covered Army and Marine helicopter operations and the work of the Special Forces. If the Air Commandos and the USAF echelons above them were denied the recognition they wished, there was, nonetheless, a movement towards the conventional. On May 20th, PACAF suggested, and Air Force Headquarters later approved, redesignating the supporting detachments in South Vietnam. The 6220th, 6221st, 6222nd, and 6223rd Air Base squadrons were formed respectively at Tan Som Nut, Bien Hoa, Da Nang, and Nha Trang. All four units were assigned to 2nd Advan on June 7th. Detachment 7 became Headquarters, 2nd Advanced Echelon, 13th Air Force. And Detachment 10 became Headquarters 6010 Tactical Group. Converting 2nd Advon to an Air Division was eased on July 19th when Ambassador Knowlton no longer opposed the redesignation if it could be done without publicity. With the discontinuance of Headquarters 2nd Advon on October 8th, the 2nd Air Division was organized at Tanson Nut under General Anthus and assigned to 13th Air Force. This regularization of USAF unit organization indicated a movement away from counterinsurgency concepts and toward the conventional. General Anthus served as the air component commander both in South Vietnam and Thailand, under General Harkins as commander of MACV and of Military Assistance Command, Thailand. Anthes was also responsible for U.S. air insurgency in Vietnam. PACAF saw that 2nd Air Division, a forward echelon of 13th Air Force and an operating headquarters in a forward area, could not do air planning for Southeast Asia as a whole. Since 13th Air Force and PACAF afforded administrative and logistic support for air activities and plans, the MACV staff, though composed chiefly of Army officers, became the air planning agency. Although 13th Air Force sent temporary duty officers to augment 2nd Air Division planning, The command arrangement was awkward and hindered air actions. Generals LeMay and O'Donnell wanted the MACV commander to have more and closer day-to-day associations with senior USAF officers. During his visit to Saigon in April 1962, LeMay had tried to persuade General Harkins to put more Air Force officers on the MACV staff. Harkins was unsympathetic, but agreed to consider it if Anthus or Dunning could make it a convincing case. Upon returning to Washington, the Chief of Staff was critical of the MACV commander, believing air activities to be depreciated in South Vietnam rather than appreciated. At a JCS meeting attended by Defense Secretary McNamara, General LeMay charged that air planning was often omitted from field operations, and that General Anthes had difficulty seeing General Harkins, and that neither Harkins nor his Chief of Staff, General Weed, understood air operations. Asked to comment, Anthes said he had direct access to General Harkins and had never been reluctant to give his views. Admiral Felt, sinkpack confirmed Anthes' ability to speak with the MACV commander at any time. He further certified that Harkins and Weed were superior officers and fully experienced in air-ground tactics. Harkins was angered by what he described as General LeMay's preferring charges against him in Washington. He explained that the Air Force chief seemed to be thinking of command and control of large numbers of aircraft, as in World War II, whereas there were essentially limited tactical opportunities for relatively few USAF aircraft in Vietnam. Throughout 1962, the MACV staff deficiencies were clear to Air Force officers who sought to unite air and ground power in utmost cooperation against the insurgency. But the defects were scarcely understood by those believed that counterinsurgency was chiefly an army emission and that USAF contributions could be but secondary. Secretary McNamara, for one, argued that the army must be in the driver's seat. If you have two or three men engaged in an operation, he explained, one has to be primary. The army has to be primary in land war. The Air Force is there to serve the army in the airlift and the close support role, and the Air Force must tailor its activities to the army. As SYNCPAC divorced PACAF from operational considerations and confined its authority to logistic support of 2nd ADVON and of late to the 2nd Air Division, General Ranthus found it hard to secure a prompt hearing at MACV for his proposals. He discovered that several of his written communications were slow to reach General Harkins. The MACV commander's duties often took him from Saigon and his staff carried on much of the business of command. Harkins followed Army practice in using his J-3 operations for daily operational planning. Hence, his J-5 plans, General Dunning, was frequently outside the routine MACV activity, especially since the J-5 division was situated in another part of Saigon, away from the major MACV staff offices. End of Chapter 9 Recording by Graham McMillan, San Diego, California